what I'm doing, and sometimes it's just I sit down and I'm thinking about it. Sometimes I'll laugh about something that God has brought to light. Uh, the other day, uh, right after pastor had preached the message where he showed the painting of his grandmother and his granddaughter together and talking about God's sufficient grace. I was reflecting that afternoon then on God's grace in my life. It was the new year, so all these, all these ingredients, and I was just do cleaning up Sunday lunch dishes, and suddenly I couldn't see the dishes anymore, <laughs> and uh, God had gotten a hold of me and really uh, touched my heart about just how good he's been. Um, so this was one of those times I was out raking uh, leaves, ma many leaves, <laughs> in my yard, and God was just putting in my mind a lot of different passages about fatherhood, um, about fathers knowing to give good gifts to their children. Are you not, uh, you know how to do that. How much more does your heavenly father give gifts to his children? Um, and, and all those other things. And I began thinking also about how my goal is, uh, with all of the parenting that's about to go on, that Eleanor would come to a saving knowledge of Christ on her own and that her own walk with God would develop. Uh, it's, a, it's a big passion um, of Savannah and mine, and, and I know all parents, but um, that she does not go through her childhood with a faith that is her parents' faith and then leaves it as an adult. I want her along the way to, to have it be her own um, and to develop it as strongly as, as Abraham does in the passages of Scripture we see about him. But for this particular time, um, it was the room was ready, the name had been chosen, more than enough clothes, and what seemed like more than enough diapers were stowed away in our closet. Uh, it was becoming real. My love for my child I was about to meet was growing and growing, and Savannah and I were just waiting for that due date with great anticipation. And it, it was in that frame of mind that I just described to you that the Lord brought to mind uh, Abraham and Sarah being given the gift of their son Isaac, the, the child of promise. Um, there's little explanation for the, the people here in this church of, of why that also strikes Savannah and I. Uh, we've been married, it'll be seven years in June, um, and for much of that time we desired a child and we prayed and prayed and um, it was only this year that we were gifted that, but it was all God's perfect timing. We could sit down all day and, and show just how true that was. But in just a little way, the arrival of Eleanor felt like that fulfillment of, ah, here's what we've been praying for. Here's the child of, of our hope. And so thinking of Abraham's life then caused me to follow it. Um, I always have to remind myself, you know, these are the, the founders of the faith, but they were just men and women, uh, so they should be venerated for how well they obeyed God, uh, but remember that they were just people. And so as you follow Abraham's life, you see that he did amazing things. He prayed uh, in the gap for the entire uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to try to save those people for just a handful of faithful uh, followers of God. He spoke, um, he spoke to God rather boldly in that prayer, just trying to save his family and anyone else, uh, ha having no knowledge of who really was there following the Lord. But at other times, he seems to have completely lost uh, his um, knowledge of what God was doing in his life, and he would give way to fear uh, with his apparently very beautiful elderly wife, Sarah, who uh, over the course of 20 years was able to uh, 
I, I guess, scare Abraham into lying about their relationship to try to preserve their marriage. And, uh, but at that time, his faith seemed very weak. So he is just a man, but he's full of example for us. And the example I want to bring us to today is in Genesis 22, where we find an incredible command by God and an enormous test of Abraham's faith. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And before we move on, uh, we are in the context of God putting a test to one of his followers to confirm obedience and uh, not the temptation of the devil. And said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. I'm going to pause there because the first thing I want us to take a look at is this call to action and the response. The response will come later, but God, as at other times, is speaking to Abraham, and this time he says, uh, Abraham, Abraham says, behold, here I am. I, the very first website in my study of this particular story led me to a person with Jewish background who was able to break down this phrase, here I am, into how it's used mostly, um, and the emphasis of this particular phrase, here am I, for us, is used to convey the idea of being unconditionally available, as though uh, a parent hearing the call of a child, if that makes sense. Um, just, I'm there, what do you need? It, it matters not what you ask, because I am willing to hear it. There are four other powerful moments in the Old Testament where God calls an individual to do something and they reply with, here am I. And I'd like to find out if you know what those instances are. What do you think? Say again. That's right. Moses says these words in Exodus 3, 4, and then God sends him to deliver the Israelites. Where else? Samuel. Uh, it has to be called a few times. He's a kid. He was asleep. Um, and then God revealed that he would, he would take the place of Eli's house because Eli's house would fall due to sin. Two others. Old Testament. That's right. Isaiah said uh, these words in Isaiah 6, 8. And then God sent him as a prophet. And I feel like you should get bonus points because that one doesn't even come to my mind when I think about it. And then I'll just give you the fourth one. The fourth is Jacob, who said these words in Genesis 46, 2. And that's when God told him to head to Egypt. And so here am I, each time we see it in the Old Testament, is a call from God to one of his followers and they give him their unconditional availability, and then he then calls them into something greater than themselves, uh, an action that will have lasting impact. So God calls to Abraham. Abraham says, here am I. And then notice, God asks him to do something that to anyone's logic is insane. I want you to take your son, your only son whom thou lovest, and head into the land of Moriah, to a place that I have chosen also in my study. Uh, I believe I'm correct in remembering this. Moriah somewhat means God has chosen. So I'm going to lead you to a place I've chosen called the place I've chosen. It's a little bit of mystery there. And you're going to offer your son as a burnt offering. So recall with me Abraham's life 
and how he had to wait to be uh, 99 years old, 100 years old, before he finally gets the son that's going to be the promised one that will, that will be uh, a blessing to all the families of the earth. And now that he has grown to be an adult, uh, the estimates are in the 20s and 30s. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, and he's just, um, for, for our culture, he's just starting his adult life, and he's going to do great things and perhaps find a wife and fulfill this promise of God. I want you to take him and kill him. To anyone listening, that is an insane request. And really, it was this particular remembrance that got me on the train of this message. The fact that Eleanor hasn't even been born yet, and I just don't know that I have enough faith to say yes to this request if it were asked of me. Because I loved my soon-to-be-born child so much that I couldn't even begin to think about and then letting her go. So uh, I guess for those of us in the church uh, in about 20 years, that's going to be a, <laughs> bring the tissues because that'll be a hard thing for me to do, is to let go. But for Abraham, let's take a look at his response. Verse uh, number three, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled, saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. There is no passage of scripture that talks about an argument. There's no passage of scripture, like we see with Job and his wife, where Abraham has to deliver the news to his wife, and we get to hear what she has to say. And I'm not necessarily one that likes to add a lot to scripture, um, to try to fill in blanks, because I feel like if we do a lot of that, we become like some literature teachers I've sat under where, you know, the, the curtains are blue, and let's examine that. It's not necessary, and that's why it's not in Scripture. But it may have happened. On the way out, Abraham may have said little. He may have explained it to Sarah. But whatever the case, he rose up early. He gathered all the people and the supplies he needed, he claved the wood himself as a 120s, 130-year-old man getting ready to go, and they set out on their journey. Why do you think it was so easy for Abraham to respond as quickly as he did to God's command when we've sort of already mentioned that that's a, that's a large request? When I was trying to, uh, <laughs> I guess, put my faith under <laughs> the call of God and say or, or I would be willing to to do what God has asked me to do hopefully it's not anything as extreme as this we need to be reminded that Abraham already knew and had seen for himself the result of obedience to God in the past and it becomes easier to say yes to God's extremes when we have already been saying yes to what God has had for us We've also uh, have the accounts where Abraham had lived through hardship of trying to live without faith, trying to bring about the promise on his own and all of the hardship that brought on his family. It's also easy to obey God when God has commanded you audibly. And so he didn't have to question, is this, you know, the Lord? Am I just kind of crazy right now? God had commanded it, and so we go. And then, interestingly, 
Hebrews reveals to us a little bit of Abraham's thought process. So let's take a look at Hebrews 11 to get this passage, and then we'll give the third um, idea as to why Abraham was able to go so quickly. Hebrews 11, verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, again, confirmation. This was a a test. This was not temptation by the devil or God um, in any way acting against his own character. Offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, here it is, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. At this time in scripture, there had been no recorded, and so we uh, extrapolate no instance of a resurrection from the dead. And yet Abraham's faith in God had grown so deeply and so strong that through obedience, perhaps, God would restore Isaac to him at the end of whatever this plan of God's was. And so they went. Here's what baffles me as well as we continue in uh, verse 4 of chapter 22. It it sneaks in because it is uh, just a small part of the next statement. But then on the third day, so Abraham goes and the momentum is strong. I'm obeying God. He's just called me. We've got everything to set up. I'm busy thinking about what we need. So I'm not having to think about what I'm going to have to do. But then three days I'm traveling and I have this time at any time to turn back, to laugh it off and say, maybe I didn't understand, to stop and ask for more prayer, to perhaps build an altar, any of the things. He also had with him those men, those servants that he's ultimately going to have stay uh, with the cattle, well, the the donkeys and the supplies uh, that he could have revealed the plan to and gotten their help to turn around. Those men were logical men. They also had seen what Abraham's faith had done, and so it's nothing new to them how God works, but maybe in this case, uh, he can get some wisdom from them. But he goes the three days. And after those three days, Abraham lifts up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Again, Uh, Here in Genesis, uh, another confirmation that Abraham had in mind that no matter what was about to take place, he and Isaac would be back, both of them alive. But uh, when they've traveled those three days, the time comes, they, they finally reach the mountain of God's choosing. And I also don't like to be very flippant with scripture. I, I like to try to figure out the emotions behind it, um, what's going on, try to put myself in their shoes, how are they feeling. And for Abraham, th- this is not, and this came to mind a little bit earlier about cleaving the wood. I don't, I don't think he whistled while he worked. I don't think any of this three days was like any trip they had ever taken. Abraham was a traveler. And so it's, it, was not, um, it was not an uncommon thing for them to be on the road. And so he probably had things that traditions maybe that he and Isaac did or whatever to, that made the journey fun. I had just told you that I don't add to scripture. But if, if he's anything like us, they had to do something. Um, but maybe his mood 
His mood is more somber. What he has to do is beyond what he's ever been asked. He tells the men that are with him to stay with the stuff. He doesn't explain. He doesn't uh, quit on God and, and tell him, you'll never believe why we're out here. I'm so sorry I brought you three days into, the, into this, uh, this area. It was... God asked me to do this thing. I know it's crazy. The promise. I agree. Let's go back. He stays faithful. He stays rather quiet. They go up the mountain together, Abraham and Isaac. Let's take a look at that because Isaac chimes in. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. Okay, now remember that Isaac is an adult. And he has seen his father sacrifice before. He knows what is needed. He knows the supplies. He could have packed them himself, but Abraham kind of beat him to it. So where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And again, another opportunity for Abraham to turn away from this plan. Well, you're never going to believe this, Isaac, <laughs> but you, the promised one, are going to be the lamb. None of that was said. Instead, Abraham takes this moment to reaffirm his faith in God, to build, to continue to build the faith of his adult son by saying, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Now, uh, as an English teacher, I was going to say nerd, but there is no nerdiness in English. The more you know, the better you are. With this particular passage, we have in English what's called an objective complement. And it's a part of speech that we really rarely use, but if I were to say I was elected president, I was elected chairman, there's to be hidden in there that we all understand. I was elected to be president. Except for the burnt offering portion, if we take that phrase that Abraham says and put to be in the middle of those words, we kind of see a double panel vision of the future and the present. God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide himself to be a lamb. And that's just the beginning of what we're going to uncover as we look at uh, the figures part of faith and figures here in the passage of scripture. So they get up to the top of the mountain. Abraham has answered the question with a statement of faith. They, they gather up the stones for the altar. Isaac is bound we again see no part of scripture that shows that Isaac struggled, though he could have very well overpowered his 120s, 130s-year-old father. He instead submits to Abraham's plan, knowing that God has something going on here. We are in this spot because God has called my father to it. Isaac is bound, laid on the altar, and scripture shows us that Abraham goes so far as to have his knife in his hand and his hand stretched forth. Verse 10. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Again, don't want to add too much to scripture, but I, again, don't think that Abraham was doing this speedily. Perhaps tears, perhaps a few calming words, you know, God, this is God's plan. The knife is raised, and the angel of the Lord, who interestingly, through other passages of scripture, we come to understand is pre-incarnate Christ, calls from heaven, Abraham, stop! I know that your faith is true. You do not have to sacrifice your son. The test is over. <laughs> Throw the knife, right? Isaac, the beads of sweat <laughs> coming off of him. It's over. And then notice that God does indeed make Abraham's faith um, revealed as satisfied. Abraham lifts up his eyes in verse 13 and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen all right if I'm Abraham and I am putting together this altar it takes time why didn't I notice the ram in the thicket before? The ram in the thicket is just calmly sitting there. No, the ram is maybe making noise. We, a ram trying to get out of the thicket. But in God's timing, the answer is revealed. In God's timing, the substitute is provided only after the faith is made whole. I have in my notes something that is really hard to say because of how true it is. It was in mention of leaving those servants behind, but sometimes the tests God puts us through are designed for only us and him to go through. But be assured, you never go alone. And this particular moment where Abraham has to perhaps finish the work that God has called him to do, God relieves him of the test and provides the ram as he, as he was hoped to do. In Genesis 20, verse 7, we learn that God considers Abraham a prophet. As he's talking to Abimelech about Sarah, he mentions that Abraham is a prophet and that he will pray for you, and when he's prayed for you, you and your household will be healed. With Abraham being a prophet, credibility is added to this entire scene as a prophetic reenactment of Christ and his sacrifice for us. I have heavily borrowed <laughs> an article that was already written because it was so detailed and I was afraid that I was going to forget some of these things. When I read all of the connections 
to what happened with Abraham and Isaac and what was going to happen with Christ, my mind was just completely overwhelmed. So I'm going to read this to you. It is reading, and I should have written down the source, I, the English teacher, but I forgot to. So this is not plagiarism because it's not mine. All right. <laughs> the entire Bible points to Jesus, and this is especially true of Genesis 22. This passage is like a lock, and Jesus is the key. Think about the parallels between this story and the story of Jesus. Both Isaac and Jesus are long-awaited, beloved sons who are born in miraculous circumstances. Both sons carry the wood that is to be the instrument of their deaths on their backs, which I hadn't thought of until I read this. In both stories, the father leads the son up a mountain. The son follows obediently toward his own death. And in both scenarios, God provides the sacrificial substitute, which Abraham says will be a ram. And in parentheses, they wrote a male lamb. And the New Testament authors identify Jesus as the Lamb of God. Abraham and Isaac point beyond themselves to the Messiah. This story is a prophetic reenactment of the greater redemption God would someday accomplish through one of their descendants, Jesus. But an exchange happens in Genesis 22. The ram goes in the place of Isaac. This points to the greater exchange that happens at the cross, the Son of God in place of humanity. In Jesus, God brings his own promised son into death and through it. Just like God spares Isaac, God spares humanity because he takes the cross on himself. There are other parallels that are put to um, this particular passage of scripture. A lot of them from this point on are more tradition. Um, people have tried to pinpoint both the age of Jesus and the age of Isaac, both having to do those things through genealogies. The Reese Chronological Bible goes ahead and claims that Isaac's age is 33 and even makes a special note of it being the same age as Jesus when he died. I'm going to say it's tradition. I'm going to say there is an age range of 20s to 30s, but wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I want it to be the case, and we'll only know on, in heaven. Also, traditionally, the Jews hold that the Temple Mount is either the location of Mount Moriah or very near it. In addition, there are many who believe that Calvary was the location of Mount Moriah or very near it. We do know that those two locations, the Temple Mount and Calvary, are very near each other. So we might not be very good at darts, but if we throw it on the map, you know, we're there. The idea that that is the special sanctified place for both this past thing and the future Messiah. And then this is something else that I had not thought of, though I have, I have taught Abraham and Isaac's life stories to many people, many children, the next time we see Isaac in Scripture is when he's meditating in the field and takes Rebekah to be his wife. And the next time we see Jesus after his ascension is when he comes to claim his bride. Sometimes God is subtle <laughs> in the way that he reveals things about the Messiah, and about his plan. And other times you get a billboard and you, everybody's driven right to it. Genesis 22. This particular imaging... I'm glad God brought it to mind because for me, 
it makes me want to have the faith of Abraham that in my daily walk, I'm preparing for when God says, Drew, I say, here am I. And I hope it's not anything as crazy <laughs> as what Abraham was called to do, but I want to be ready for the test. And the other thing that this passage brings to mind is the fact that there is a Savior that my child Ellie can believe in, and that he's coming back, that there's a hope of heaven for all of us. And so this faith, these figures, they're, they're an important meditation. It's only January 11th. I made four resolutions and already failed at two. It's pretty good. <laughs> but it's not too late, and really, it's never the wrong time to try to make this year the year that we perfect our faith and are willing to follow God into the unknown. That's the big takeaway. Let's, in our individual lives, I would love to see as a church body, this be the year that we just say, here am I. And for our children and for the sake of our spiritual growth, we just give God the reins. We go wherever he asks us to go. When people ask us what on earth is going on, you people are crazy. <laughs> they already have. What are you doing with this orange carpet? <laughs> Look at all the missions that we've been able to accomplish just because we're willing to have orange carpet and to trust in God. Let this be the year that we do more than we ever have. Let's pray. Father, you are such an amazing God to be willing to save us and to be willing to invest your time into making us better. To be willing to use us in small ways, in big ways, and to be willing to improve us through tests we pray that through this church and through each of our lives, you would do something great in our community and, Lord, please, around the world. Through these, this handful of faithful Wednesday night people, through those who are watching by live stream, through those who hear it later and commit to you, Lord, do a great work through us. Let us have the faith to say yes to you unconditionally. And Lord, we also pray for my child specifically, for our children who have not yet chosen to believe on you, for those who hear it later, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you and grow a faith as strong as Abraham's. Lord, more than anything, we want to be used of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.